All right, if you've got your Bible, open to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation 6 is where we're going to be today. And I wanted to pass along some encouragement that I got from Uncle Keith, who's usually in the back row, first service. But uh, Uncle Keith was telling me about how he sat down and read the whole book of Revelation all in one sitting. And he said it was so powerful. So we wanted to encourage all of you, if you can carve out an hour, sometime, sit down, just read the whole book, and it is, it'll be well worth your time because it'll help you remember that this strange, weird book was primarily written to encourage suffering Christians in the first century, in those seven churches in Asia. And it'll also help you remember that this book was written to kind of warn half-hearted Christians along the way, and then also to help Christians understand this crazy, chaotic world that we're living in. And that's really what we're going to see here in Revelation 6. Revelation 6 helps us understand the turbulent times that we're living in right now. Last week in Revelation 5, we saw God sitting on the throne, the Father holding a scroll in his right hand, which is his last will and testament. This is his plan for the world. And we heard the angels say, who's worthy? To open the scroll, who's worthy to break the seals? And the answer was, nobody. No one is worthy. We're looking around all over the universe. We can't find anybody who's worthy to carry out the will of God for this world until finally we're told to look. Look at the lion. The lion who's from the tribe of Judah. And then when we look and try and find that lion, no. Now he's a lamb. Because the way that the lion has conquered this world, the way he's defeated his enemies is by dying for his enemies. And so now that lion who is a lamb is sitting on the throne. His kingdom has been established in this world and his kingdom is expanding in this world. What we're going to see in this chapter is that's going to cause some turbulence. It will. I mean, if you toss a little pebble into a pool, you'll make a little ripple. If you toss a giant boulder into a pool, you're going to make a tsunami. You're, you better not have a baby next to that pool because that's going to get washed down the street by that wave. That's what you're going to see in this world in the same way. As Jesus breaks the seals of God's plan one by one, as, as he expands his kingdom in this world just inch by inch, as the rocks get bigger and bigger getting thrown into the pool, the waves are going to get bigger and bigger. The world is going to react to the kingdom. And John's going to show us exactly what kind of waves we should expect to see. Waves like war, death, suffering. He's going to remind us, man, that's what Christians should expect to see in this world as the kingdom of Jesus expands in this world. So let's pray, and we'll see God's plan for this world. Father, thank you for the words that we sang this morning, that you reign above it all. We live in a turbulent world, crazy, chaotic, confusing, and each of us are coming in here with different experiences of the turbulence. Some of us are living in very turbulent times in our own personal lives right now. So I pray that you would help us to see that you reign above it all. You reign above this world. You reign above our lives. And you've got a plan for this turbulence. You've got a plan for the chaos because Jesus, our lion who is a lamb, is reigning and bringing your kingdom to bear on this world. Help us to see that, know that, feel it, trust it this morning. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Revelation 6. Remember, John is looking through the door into heaven. God gave him these like spiritual Ray-Bans to be able to see the spiritual world that's all around us all the time, this spiritual world that's influencing the physical world, impacting the physical world that we live in, shaping the physical world in a lot of different ways. And so look at what he sees continuing in this vision in verse 1. Revelation 6, verse 1, John says, Then I saw the Lamb, the Lion who became a Lamb, I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals. So the scroll is being opened. God's plan is being accomplished. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, a voice like thunder, come. Come. Remember, the four living creatures in heaven, they are the angels, the the cherubim and seraphim. And they're asking the Lord Jesus to come. Same thing Jesus taught us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, the angels in heaven, they're praying the exact same thing. Jesus, bring your kingdom here to the earth. And we know that Jesus is answering that prayer right now. Because bookending this book of Revelation, we hear Jesus say, I'm coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. So we're living in that soon. He's coming right now. His kingdom is expanding right now. That's what we're going to see in this chapter. We're going to see Jesus executing God's plan for this world and some of the impacts that that's going to make on the world. So look at what happens. Verse 2, John says, I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. Okay? Sounds kind of like Jesus, right? He's got a crown. He's got a white horse. But here's the problem. It also says he's conquering in order to conquer. He's gaining power just for the sake of having more power. He's ruling just for the thrill of ruling. That doesn't sound like Jesus. It doesn't sound like Jesus at all. This is something totally different here. So as Jesus opens the scroll, breaks the seals, as, as he comes and brings his kingdom to this earth, things aren't going to get better on this earth. At least not at first. Each seal that gets open, it's going to make things worse. But we got to expect that in this world. Here's what we got to expect. Number one, evil. We've just got to expect it because that's what this first horseman symbolizes, evil. And particularly, evil that imitates good. It's got a crown and a white horse, just like Jesus, which tells us that As Jesus comes, as he expands his kingdom, there's going to be opposing forces trying to imitate him in his kingdom. Opposing forces that are trying to conquer this world and overthrow his kingdom. And and you can see it in the world right now. Socialism. Socialism is nothing but a pale imitation of Christian compassion. That's what it is. I mean, we just want everybody to be fed. That's what socialism says. But I've been to the killing fields in Cambodia where millions of victims of socialism were slaughtered. I've seen bones piled up 100 feet in the air. Because you can't have compassion on everybody, right? Got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet, right? So this side of heaven, socialism is never going to give us the, the kind of utopia that we want. 
It's just a pale imitation of Christian compassion. And then on the other side, nationalism. Nationalism is just a pale imitation of Christian unity. We're just celebrating our unique identity. That's what nationalism says, but I visited the concentration camps in Germany where the victims of nationalism were slaughtered. Because this side of heaven, you can't have unity without exclusion, and, and on this side of heaven, that kind of exclusion is always going to turn violent and deadly. There is a difference between nationalism and patriotism. There's a difference between those two things. We're going to talk a little bit about it on Tuesday night. Give you a little sneaker, you know, a little, little, little teaser there. There's a difference between nationalism and biblical patriotism. Nationalism is the evil twin of biblical patriotism. There's always going to be evil trying to imitate good. Always. But here's the good news. Evil is never going to be in charge. Never. How do we know that? Because it says right here, a crown was given to this evil horseman. It was given. You know what that means? That crown can also be taken back. Evil can only reign as far as God allows it to. We know that from Scripture. We learned it right from Genesis when Joseph's brothers tried to do evil to him. But then, what did Joseph say? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God will only allow evil as much space as he wants to accomplish his good through that evil. We always got to remember that. Keep going in verse 3. Here's the, the, the cascading effects of evil in the world. It says, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another. And a large sword was given to him. So here's the second thing to expect in this world. War. That's what it is, because this horse is red. That's a symbol of blood. People are slaughtering each other, and so we just got to expect war in this world. War, wars between nations. Wars between friends. Wars between spouses. We just got to expect it. We, we, we can slaughter each other with swords. There's a lot of times we see that. Or we can just slaughter each other with our words. Why do we do it? Because we want to maintain our own kingdoms instead of submitting to Jesus' kingdom. Well, keep going in verse 5. Verse 5, John says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked, and there was a black horse. Its rider held a set of scales in his hand. And then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. But do not harm the oil and the wine. So here's the third thing to expect in the world. Injustice. Injustice. Because here's what's going on here. A quart of wheat, that's what one person eats in a day. And a denarius, that's what one person would have earned in a day. So it's talking about inflation that gets so bad that you work all day and you can still just only barely feed yourself. You can't feed a family working all day. But at the same time, the price of wine hasn't been affected at least for the people who can afford wine. So what are we seeing here? 
What we're seeing is the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Injustice. We haven't seen any of that lately, have we? People starving while billionaires go on tourist trips to space. We haven't seen anything like that, right? We can expect to see injustice more and more in this world. And so that results in the next seal, verse 7. John says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, calm. And I looked, and it was a pale green horse. His rider was named Death, and Hades was following after him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth. So here's another thing to expect in this world, death. Death, because the pale green horse, what's pale green? A corpse is pale green. So we can just expect to see more and more death, because when you got evil and war and injustice, you're going to have death. And John says it's going to come in all kinds of different ways. Sword, famine, plague, and then wild animals will come in and clean up after the carnage. And we've already seen this in the world. In the last 120 years, more people have been intentionally killed in this world. There's been more intentional death in this world than in the 5,000 years before that combined. More in the last 120 than the previous 5,000. 203 million people have been killed in the last 120 years alone by war, genocide, and intentional famine. 203 million. But you know what? That doesn't even come close to the number of people who've died just by smallpox. 300 million people have died, more than 300, just from smallpox in the last 120, million, uh, 120 years. Smallpox is a disease that's preventable. It's treatable. But most people in the world don't have the resources to treat it, the resources to prevent it, because other people are building their own kingdoms. And they're resisting Jesus' kingdom. Whether they know it or not, they're at war with the kingdom of Jesus. And so who's going to get caught in the crossfire in this war? You are. It's going to be the people of Jesus. Look at verse 9. John says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who's holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? Okay, so these are the people who are killed for their faith, these saints in heaven. They're going, Lord, how long are you going to let this go? How long are you going to allow this to continue? When are you going to stop all of this? When are you going to judge the people who keep killing your people? Well, verse 11, here's the response. They were each given a white robe, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. In other words, in other words it, it's not going to stop for a little while. So here's the next thing that we as Christians got to expect in this world, persecution. Persecution. And this right here, this is why a lot of Christians stop reading Revelation about this point. A lot of people love the first part of Revelation. Then they get to this point, point, they're like, could, could we go back to the conquering lion? I'd like to hear more about the conquering 
And not so much about the suffering, but Scripture is clear. Scripture is clear that Christians should expect suffering. I mean, Paul said it really clearly in 2 Timothy 3, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And all means all. He's talking about all of us. Because Jesus is bringing his kingdom to bear. He's bringing his kingdom to confront evil and war and injustice and death. And, and when evil fights back against the kingdom of Jesus, we get caught in the middle. We're just going to get caught in the middle. So all of us are going to suffer until, I hope you noticed this, until the number is completed. That's what God said here. What's he mean by that? There's a finite number of Christians that God will allow to suffer for his name. It's a set number. And so that's going to give you hope when you have to suffer for Christ. Because the more Christians who suffer right now, the closer we get to that number. The more Christians who suffer right now, the closer we get to the return of Jesus. I think that's the symbolism of these martyrs in heaven being under the altar. Think about that image. What goes under the altar? A sacrificial animal after it's been slaughtered. He's saying the people who suffer for Jesus have been sacrificed just like the sacrificial lamb, and so they're part of bringing the kingdom of Jesus to this world more and more. So family, don't be afraid to suffer for Jesus. If you're not suffering for Jesus, it's probably because nobody knows that you stand for Jesus. Nobody knows that you know Jesus. Don't be afraid to suffer for Jesus. Don't be afraid of rejection. Don't be afraid of ridicule. Don't be afraid of oppression for Christ. Family, the more you suffer for Christ, the closer we get to the return of Christ. Don't be afraid to suffer. Keep going in verse 12. It says, Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Okay, so we're talking about natural disasters here. We've seen these things, earthquakes, landslides, hurricanes that turn the sky black. We've seen these kinds of things in the world. But we're also starting to see some things that go way beyond the kind of natural disasters that we've seen. Right? The, the stars are falling from the sky. The sky itself is splitting in half. There's whole mountains and islands that are moving. We haven't seen this yet. We, we just haven't seen. This isn't normal, what we're seeing here. So, this must be something that's still coming in the future. So that's one more thing we can expect to see. At some point in the future, it's cosmic disturbances. Cosmic disasters, not just regular natural disasters. Cosmic scale disasters. And this is when things really start getting crazy. Jesus is coming and he's bringing his kingdom in a powerful new way. So, so when we see this, we know the last days are here. Jesus is about to come, and in all of his glory, we know the end is near. 
Because at this point, whenever we see this, it's not just people and, and kingdoms who are reacting against the kingdom of Jesus. It's creation itself that's responding to the kingdom of Jesus. Because creation itself has been infected by our sin. That's why this is going to happen. Look what Paul said in Romans 8. Romans 8, Paul said, the creation was subjected to futility, subjected to just meaninglessness, chaos, confusion. Creation was subjected, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who's that him? You and me. All of us. We subjected creation to futility, but creation has the hope that it, creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Okay, so we subjected creation to futility through our sin, and ever since then, creation has been waiting, just waiting to be redeemed. And so when Jesus is about to come back, creation, it's, it's going to start convulsing. It's going to start trying to rid itself of that sin that we subjected it to. We enslaved it by our sin, and at some point, creation is going to start trying to break free of the shackles of our sin. And that's not going to be pretty for us, any of us who are, are living at that time. Look at verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. Fall on us and hide us. Barricade us in this cave. Hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb because the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? And that's a powerful thought. The wrath of the Lamb? I thought we were talking about a tiny baby lamb who was slaughtered for our sin. Now his wrath is coming? Yeah. Because what does his wrath look like? According to this picture that John just gave us, the wrath of the Lamb is allowing sinners to experience the consequences of their own sin. Paul said the same thing in Romans 1. God's wrath in this age is just allowing us to experience the consequences of our sin. And so in this picture here in Revelation 6, we, we enslaved creation by our sin, and so when creation starts breaking free, it's going to get really ugly for us. It's going to get ugly. And I know this whole chapter seems ugly. This is not something we want to hear about. The ugliness that we got to expect as the kingdom of Jesus comes more and more to bear. This is really ugly, but, but it's just like what your doctor told you when you had that infection, whatever infection you had. What did your doctor say? What every doctor always says. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better, right? I hate it when they say that. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Because when you've got an infection and your body starts producing antibodies or the doctor gives you antibiotics, then the infection reacts against that. You start oozing ugly green stuff from that infection, right? It's not pretty. And it's going to be the same way with this world. We, we infected this world with our sin. 
And Jesus is coming. He's, he's bringing some antibiotics to kill the infection, but in the process of killing the infection, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's got to get worse before it gets better. But family, we can't let that stop us from aching for things to get better. Even if we know it's not going to be fun in the process. We can't let that stop us from praying for things to get better. Because here's the thing. Everything that happens in this chapter, everything that happens in this chapter happens in response to prayer. Did you notice that? Everything that happens is in response to prayer. With the first four seals, the the four living creatures, they're praying to Jesus. Just this one word prayer, come. Just come. And then with the fifth seal, the the martyred saints, they're praying to Jesus. How long, O Lord? How, How long until you come? And then even the sixth seal, it's the unbelievers praying. And they're not praying to Jesus. They're, they're praying to creation, but it's still basically the same prayer. Come, come and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. So they don't know who to pray to, but they know we should probably be praying right now. Everything that happens in this chapter is in response to prayer. And so that's the encouragement that John's giving us in this chapter. When the world is crazy, chaotic, turbulent, when it seems like life is just going from bad to worse, here's how you survive in this turbulent world. You pray. And here's three things we gotta be praying for. Number one, pray for Jesus' kingdom. That's what we saw in this chapter. Pray for his kingdom to come. That's what people are praying all through this chapter. Come. That's exactly what Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for his kingdom to come. But you know what we're really praying when we pray that? First, let your kingdom come in me. Let your kingdom come in my heart and in my life. That's what we're praying. And that's kind of a radical prayer. Because we saw in this chapter, we tend to, to think that we are the kings and that we run our own kingdoms. We tend to think that the universe revolves around us, or, or at least it should. I feel that way every time I'm driving through traffic in rush hour. Every road and every freeway on the island is just a parking lot. I'm going, why are all these people on the road right now? Why are they on my road right now? I'm praying, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in Matt's heaven. That's what I'm praying. Every time I get frustrated at the traffic, every time I complain about anything, I'm saying, Lord, you're not doing such a great job as king. I feel like I could do a better job. So praying for the kingdom of Jesus to come is a radical prayer that in essence says, let your kingdom come in me and in my heart. We're praying for him to smash our normal way of thinking. Jesus, I want you to be king, not me. And then we're praying for the whole world to join us in that prayer. When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for more people to join us in his kingdom. So pray for Jesus' kingdom. And then number two, pray for Jesus' justice. His justice, like, like the martyrs in heaven are praying. How long 
until you judge those who live on the earth? How long, Jesus, until you stop all the persecution and murder and suffering and injustice on the earth? Why are they praying that? Because they care about the suffering people in this world. They care about suffering people. And so should we. That's, that's why we should pray for justice in the same way. We got to be praying for criminals to be caught. We got to pray for that. Because we know, if you've seen the news, and we know just from, just from living on this island, violent crime has gone way up in the last couple of years. Government corruption has gone up, and people are suffering as a result of that. So we want to pray for his justice. We want to pray for abusers to be found out because spouses and kids are suffering. We want to pray for, for, for oppressive governments to be confronted because Christians are suffering and being killed for their faith. we got to pray for justice. And when we pray, Jesus might answer us by giving us a white robe and saying, just wait a little while. He might do that. Justice might not come as fast as we want it to. But we can be sure that justice will come. We can be sure of that. So pray for Jesus' justice. And then number three, pray for Jesus' mercy. Pray for his mercy. Just like the people are praying, hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Okay, that's what the unbelievers are praying to the mountain. They're praying that to mountains. How sad is that? They have nothing but a mountain to pray to? They're praying for mercy to creation. Well, family, we can pray for mercy to the creator. And we can praise him that he's already given us mercy through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. We don't need to worry about the wrath of the lamb if we've been saved by the blood of the lamb. We can sing and praise him for the mercy that he's already given. We're going to sing and praise him in a couple minutes. We're going to sing all about it. We're going to sing, death has no sting and life has no end because I've been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. When we sing that, family, I hope you are singing that at the top of your lungs because we have been delivered from the wrath of the Lamb. That is such good news. We've got to praise him for that. We've got to shout and sing to him for the mercy that's come. And that's what's going to motivate us to keep praying for his kingdom to come. In a few weeks, we're going to dedicate a whole week to praying for his kingdom to come in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our islands, in our world. We're going to have a week of prayer, Harbor's week of prayer from November 13th to 19th. We're going to give you some prompts every day, some posts on the Harbor app that'll just give little prompts of things that you can be praying for each day of that week. Community groups are going to be spending time in prayer. And then culminating that whole week is going to be 24 hours of prayer. We want people in our church praying from Friday sundown until Saturday sundown, the traditional Sabbath. You can sign up for a 30-minute slot to pray. I hope you will. You can do that on the Harbor app, on the events tab, or prayer team's got a, a table downstairs. You can sign up with them. We'll even give you a little gift if you sign up between the 12 a.m. and 6 a.m. slot because we know you love your sleep and we just want to say thank you for giving up a little bit of sleep to pray for the kingdom to come. 
because we know. We, we want God's kingdom to come, and Revelation 6 is really clear. His kingdom comes in response to our prayer. It comes in response to our prayer. So pray for Jesus' kingdom. Pray for Jesus' justice. Pray for Jesus' mercy, and he will respond. He will respond. So let's pray right now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that great reminder that we sang this morning, those powerful words that you reign above it all, above the turbulence in our world and, and the turbulence in our lives. I know there's some folks who came in here today with a whole lot of turbulence they're dealing with right now. There's some people who came in today beat up by the world, feeling like they've lost so much in this world, just depressed by the state of this world. There's some people who came in today anxious and, and frightened by what's to come in this world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help us know in the depths of our souls that you do reign above it all. You reign above the crazy chaos of this world. You reign above the confusion in our lives. Help us to trust your reign and to pray for more of your kingdom in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our islands, in our world. Help us to welcome you, King Jesus, and to welcome your kingdom reigning over us all. It's in your name we pray. Amen.